0: This is the Mahabharata Podcast, Episode 86, To Be King or Not to Be. Last time, we memorialized the life of Karna. Yudhishthira was heartbroken over being the instrument of his brother's destruction, so the sage Narada tried to explain why things had worked out as they did. Taking the highest possible perspective, Narada said that Karna was born specifically to be the cause and guarantor of the destruction of the warrior caste. Karna was born under such conflicted circumstances specifically to ensure that the war was carried out to the bitter end. One thing I do find funny in all their assessments of Karna is that so far we've not been told from whom he incarnated. For example, we're told that the Pandavas were incarnated from Indra, and Shakuni was Dvapur incarnate, and duryodhana was Kali. But for Karna, we only know that his father was Surya the sun god. Discussions of his soul have so far been mute. Thus, going back to the big picture of the partial incarnations, in which the world is populated with incarnated demons and celestial volunteers, we have not been told which side Karna came from. Was he born with the soul of an Asura or a god? Of course, at this point the question is academic. Karna performed his part successfully, and now has paradise as his reward, so we should be happy for him. That's what Narada advised at the end of his story but Yudhishthira just could not get past his grief and regret for having killed his elder brother. I can understand this. He is, after all, Dharma's son, and what kind of world is it that would have you kill your own brother as part of one's Dharma? He complained to Arjun, saying, If we had remained poor and exiled, then none of this would have happened. We would have never exterminated our kinsmen. Our enemies are better off now, and we are worse off. So to hell with chivalry, and to hell with vengeance, since through that we have had a disaster. Blessed is forgiveness, renunciation, humility, nonviolence, and honesty. But we, in our pride and greed, killed people who should not have been slain. Like a pack of dogs fighting for a bone, a great disaster befell us, and now that bone is worthless to us. But why did Deodono hate us so much? We never offended him, but he always plotted against us. And now we have not gained our objective, nor have they gained theirs. They had every honor and luxury, but could not enjoy it. They hated and envied us so much that they never had any peace or happiness. Dhritarashtra tolerated his son's bad deeds, and now he's paying the price. Yudhishthira went on, What other person of high birth could use such offensive language even in Krishna's presence? Without a doubt, his reputation is shattered, but so is ours. Now that we have slain them, our wrath has been pacified, but now I am stupefied with grief. Still talking to Arjuna, he came up with a remedy. He said, My brother, the only way to expiate a sin like this will be through penance, alms, pilgrimage, and renunciation. I intend, therefore, to give up my crown and live in the woods under a vow of silence. The wise tell us that those attached to the earth cannot attain heaven. It was out of my desire for the kingdom that I have sinned. Thus, I should give it up and let go of my ties to the world. I have no need for crowns or luxury. I'm not sure what kind of emotion they're trying to describe, but it says that Arjun, like a person unwilling to forgive an insult, showed fierceness, licked the corners of his mouth, spoke seriously, yet had a smile all the while. He said, Oh, how sad! So depressing! It pains me to see you so miserable, considering the superhuman accomplishments you have won. You have killed all your enemies and taken their lands. You did all this by the rules of dharma. So why would you want to give this up at the moment of triumph? Tell me, when has a soft-hearted, sensitive pansy ever won a crown? If you are just going to mope around afterwards, then why did you bother to kill all the kings of the world? How can you suggest giving up your wealth like some commoner? So remember who you are, the most celebrated king of a line of great kings. Do you think the gods ever want to quit fighting and killing their cousins the Asuras? The Dharma of kings is clear. You are to rule, acquire wealth, and then use that wealth to perform sacrifices. To get wealth, you must take it from others. There is no way to acquire wealth that doesn't harm someone else. The wise all say that this is the Dharma of kings. Therefore, what you ought to be doing is perform a great big sacrifice, because if you do the great Ashvameda horse sacrifice, you and all your subjects will be cleansed and sanctified. Arjun concluded his argument saying, Mahadeva himself performed great sacrifices, and I really cannot think of a better example to follow. Yudhishthira was not at all convinced, and seemed to have a hard time even understanding where Arjun was coming from. He said, Take a moment, my brother, to listen to your heart. If you think on your immortal soul, you will understand what I'm trying to tell you. The righteous path for me would be to wander the forest living on fruits and roots. Almost longingly, Yudhishthira began to fantasize on what this life as a sadhu would be like. He said wistfully, I shall become thin from a reduced diet and will let my hair grow into dreadlocks. Wearing just animal skins, I shall endure the cold, wind, and heat, hunger and thirst, as I do my penance as prescribed in scripture. I'll enjoy the fine forest air, and will hang out with the other hermits. Who needs towns or cities? I shall live thus, in the woods, neither happy nor sad, and await the dissolution of my body. Yudhishthira must have fantasized about this quite a lot, because he had it all planned out, even with alternate lifestyles. He speculated he might want to live like an urban sadhu, With his head shaved and covered in ashes, he would observe a vow of silence and pretend to be crazy, so as to keep others away. He concluded his fantasy, saying, I shall give up all desires and purify my soul, free of all bonds and attachments, I shall have everlasting contentment. Probably because Arjun wasn't looking convinced, Yudhishthira got philosophical. He said, Most people live in the world, doing good and doing bad, among their family, friends, and enemies. When their life ends, they take with them the burdens of their sins. No one suffers from your sins except yourself. But even so, people just go from life to life as a wheel goes round and round. Only those who realize that this is an illusion and cast it aside ever truly attain happiness. Even the gods and rishis eventually fall from their place. So why would you envy them? That is why I think it is time for me to seek eternal salvation. I shall follow the fearless path of life, and thus put an end to being subject to birth, death, old age, illness, and pain. This time, it was Bhima who protested. He said, I think you fail to grasp the inner meaning of this ancient wisdom. If you really think the duties of a king is sinful, then killing Dhritarastra's sons was completely out of line. If we had had any idea that this was your intention, then we would have never followed you into war. We would have continued to live in penury, and this catastrophe would have never taken place. If our desire was to live as holy men, then our recent actions were horrendously sinful. If, on the other hand, we live as kings, then our actions were righteous and good. Since you are our elder brother, we shall follow you, but what you are doing makes us all look bad in the eyes of the world. Here we are, the mightiest warriors on earth, but since we are obedient to a weakling, we appear helpless and impotent. Really, nobody respects a king who has renounced the world. It is only those wimpy kings who lost all their possessions that pretend their poverty is a virtue. In reality, it is never proper for a kshatriya to do this. Life goes on because every creature does its natural duties. You were a king by birth, so it is time you started acting like one. Naukul agreed with Beam, saying, The experts all agree that the life of a householder is superior to all other modes of living. It is only by living as a family man that one can attain both pleasure in this life and salvation in the next. If a king desires to renounce his wealth, there is only one good way to do it, which is to use it for costly sacrifices and alms. That is the true path to salvation for a king. Sahadev and Draupadi also chimed in with more arguments, but they are much the same, so we'll move on to Vyasa, who spoke up next. He also urged Yudhishthira to keep his kingship. Perhaps because he had a better understanding of time, he suggested that the Pandavas stick around a while, do what needs to be done as a king, and then, when his work in the world is over, he could retire from kingship and head for the woods. Vyasa said, You have already lived a long time in poverty and penance, and now that misery is over. So enjoy yourself a while. You certainly deserve it. Rule the world and do your duty, and then you may retire to the forest. In the meantime, bring justice to your realm and perform the great Ashvameda horse sacrifice. Finally, Arjun turned to Krishna and begged him for some wisdom to bring Yudhishthira back to his senses. Krishna said, Do not allow your grief to consume you like this. You must realize that all those fallen kings are like characters in a dream, who all vanish when you wake up. Now they have all moved on, and do not think that they would rather be here. Krishna then quoted Narada, who once consoled a bereaved king by listing all the great kings of history, and how, no matter how great they were, they are all now dead. He mentioned Bharat, the son of Shakuntala and Dushanta, back in episode 4, who, in his later years, performed 1,000 horse sacrifices and 100 Rajasuyas. But even he eventually died. Narada also talked about the famous Rama from the Ramayana. During his reign, there were no widows or orphans, the rains fell when needed, and the crops grew abundantly. No one died by drowning, fire, or disease, and people lived without fear. He said that Rama stayed youthful, had a dark complexion, red eyes, and strong arms that hung down to his knees. But although Rama ruled for 11,000 years, still even he died. Krishna had framed this long list of kings and their virtues as a dialogue that once took place between the sage Narada and an ancient king named Shinjaya. Narada was comforting the king at the death of his son. I guess Yudhishthira was beginning to feel better, because now he wanted to hear the story of Narada, Srinjaya, and his son. Although Narada was present at this campout, Krishna told the story. He said that, a long time ago, Narada and his sister's son Parvata had traveled to the earth as a pair of celestial tourists. He said that the uncle and nephew were great friends, and they had made a compact with each other to share their innermost desires with one another. As part of their journey, they stayed a while at the court of the king Srinjaya. This king greatly enjoyed their company, and one day introduced his daughter to the two rishis. The girl was quite beautiful, and soon Narada took a hankering to her. Feeling a bit ashamed of his randy urges, Narada did not mention this to his nephew. But of course, it isn't easy to keep secrets from rishis, and Parvata read his thoughts. This sage had a pretty short fuse, because he got really mad at Narada for failing to report his desires. Parvata cursed his uncle, saying that he could have this girl for his wife, but that Narada would forever appear to her, and to all men, as an ape. Narada is also rather short-tempered, so rather than trying to explain himself, he just got angry back, and hurled a counter-curse. He forbade his nephew from entering paradise. Following this quarrel, the pair split up. Parvata to roam the earth, while Narada took up his new bride. Krishna said that although her husband looked to her like an ape, she stayed loyal to him and never desired another man. After living like this for some time, one day Parvata arrived at the couple's doorstep. Contritely, Parvata said, please do me a great favor and permit me to enter heaven. Narada saw his friend kneeling humbly and looking miserable, and he felt miserable too. He said, you started it by turning me into an ape. That's the only reason I did it. You shouldn't have done that. But Narada did not get angry this time. Instead, he forgave his nephew, who in turn forgave Narada, and both curses were lifted. Soon thereafter, his bride Sukamani arrived. When she saw Narada, all radiant as a rishi, she didn't recognize him and ran away. Parvata stopped her and explained to her about the curse, and convinced her that the man was indeed her husband. Krishna then sort of handed the storytelling over to Narada, saying, Narada here can answer any questions you might have. Yudhishthira said, Yeah, I want to hear about Shinjaya's son, who they say crapped gold and died. Yudhishthira knew about the boy's golden poop because of his name, Suvarnashtivin, which translates as, One whose excrement is gold. Narada obliged by finishing up the tale of his visit with his nephew to the king Shinjaya. He said that after a few months of the king's hospitality, and having taken his daughter as his wife, Narada gratefully offered the king anything he could wish for, so long as it didn't threaten the power of the gods. So Srinjaya asked to be given a son, as blessed and possessing the same splendor as Indra, king of the gods. Narada granted him that, but had to limit the span of the boy's life so he could never threaten that deity. Thus in time, Srinjaya had a son who indeed was splendid. The boy was named Suvarnashtavin because he really did crap gold nuggets. Indra took notice of this boy and when the boy grew old enough to display some of his prowess, the god sent a servant in the form of a tiger, which pounced on the boy and killed him. The king was one of the first to find the boy, dead on the ground, and in his grief he thought of Narada, who appeared before him. Narada said that it was then that he told Shinjaya of all the great kings who had gone before, but all eventually died. When Narada completed his recital of India's greatest kings, he brought Shinjaya's golden boy back to life. I'm not exactly sure what the point of that story was, but Narada concluded it, saying, So don't be sad, and do as Krishna and Vyasa both advise. Take up the burden of your father's kingdom, perform your sacrifices, and after that, you'll be free to do what you wish. Seeing that Yudhishthira refused to accept that the war was merely an act of God, and he was just an instrument of his enemy's destruction, Narada urged Yudhishthira to expiate his guilt by means of royal sacrifices. While he had these three men together at the same time, Yudhishthira decided to ask them to delineate the duties of a king. But Narada, speaking for the rest of them, demurred. He said, the person to ask would be Bhishma. Yudhishthira complained, saying, but I just killed his nephews and friends. How could I face Bhishma after all I've done? This time Krishna spoke up. He said, enough already with the guilt tripping. You've agreed to our advice that you stay king, so now start acting like one. Yudhishthira didn't argue. Instead, he stood up and led his brothers, kin, and followers back into the city of Hastinapur, thus ending his penance and resuming his role as king of the world. That's all for now. Next time, Yudhishthira will finally get down to the business of running a country. Thanks for listening.